Caden Co PR would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that this podcast was recorded and produced on, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the East Kulin Nations. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Welcome to the Press Office with Caden Copiar, the podcast that gives you an exclusive and unfiltered look behind the scenes of the Australian media landscape and public relations industry. I'm your host, Marissa Jane, and if you are dreaming of a career in public relations, are an aspiring journalist, or simply just obsessed with all things digital and traditional media, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to the Press Office with Caden Co. PR, where today I am joined by a very special and interesting guest, may I add, Sarah Seddon, who is the mastermind behind Site360 and also the founder and director of Sabre Collective. Sarah is a true visionary leveraging technology to overcome challenges and that is exactly what she did during the COVID-19 pandemic where she created Site360, which is this amazing product that enables businesses to stay open 24-7 with a 360-degree immersive experience in a 3D digital model. During this conversation, we talk all about how she has revolutionized how you can now travel from the comfort of your very own home as she has helped bridge the gap between both physical and digital worlds. We chat all about her company's challenges and successes, as well as the lessons learned along the way. And I also touch on her experience as a founder of boutique consultancy Sabre Collective. So for any marketers out there, that one is for you. This conversation is unlike anything that we've ever had before on this show, and I found it so incredibly interesting, and I think you will too. So let's get on to the interview. Sarah, welcome to the press office with Caden Co. PR. We finally got here. Thank you so much and thank you for your patience waiting for me as I recovered from a little bit of a nasty lurgy. Oh, and I'm sure we will probably touch on that throughout the chat because you started a very interesting company during the pandemic, Site360. So I would love if we could jump straight into it and if you could share with us the inspiration behind starting this business and what motivated you to create this really unique concept? And actually, probably to start off with, in case anyone doesn't know, what is Site360? <laughs> well, I'll start I'll, I'll start with the, the why and then I'll tell you all about it. it it's, it's a great story. It's a great COVID story. I think, very honestly, it was born out of helplessness and necessity during, you know, what was a really tough time for a lot of people. So in the early stages of March, when the the pandemic was just upon us, I was running a really successful consultancy business, the who's who of hospitality, tourism and events. And I was running on fumes. It was always too much on, too many deadlines. I was out every night at events. And then all of a sudden, everything crashed around me like it did for most people. And my consultancy went off the cliff. All my clients were forced to close their doors. They were had no revenue coming in. There was no way to pay their, their staff 
their, you know, their rent, their utilities. It was, con- it was extremely confronting for a lot of people. And as a, as a sole trader, as I was a business, as my business, my consultancy, I went from not having enough hours in the day to doing nothing. And it was really, really confronting. And I guess I didn't think of my self to, at the start, I was thinking about my industry, my clients, and they were still asking me, what do we do? And I was thinking, how can I keep them alive? How can I keep them open when their doors are closed? And how can I help them generate some revenue or just to keep the, the home fires burning while they, they really can't operate? So in the face of that adversity, I sort of wondered, how could a business operate in a virtual world and continue to operate? So with no previous background in technology, no previous background in understanding any of this, seriously hopeless in a technology background. Like if somebody said to me, I'd say to somebody at work, oh, is my my computer's not working? They'd say to me, is it plugged in at the back? Uh, That's how hopeless I was. So it was a challenge for me to start with, but I was learning on a steep learning curve and um, just had to jump in. So with some, some unique technology and technology that I knew existed, but I wanted to really change it, re-engineer it to actually make it very custom to my clients, my industry, the businesses that I worked with, with you know some really agile business mind, entrepreneurial spirit, bravery, touch of that. We launched this fantastic product, which is Sight. So it plays on CITE. It plays on two words like eyesight, seeing something differently, and physical sight, being a, a um, you know a site of ground. So. Basically, using this existing technology, reimagined it. Using my marketing and PR background, I overlaid a creative layer to this technology. I also added in customer experience and a customer journey element to it, which is obviously lacking sometimes in technology, and brought these businesses to life in a digital world using really emotive and authentic storytelling. So the silver lining was to develop I suppose, this product for an industry, a world in turmoil, able to reimagine some technology, bring it to life to new audiences. And it really created a, a sales tool to drive brand awareness for people who really had, they're on their knees at this stage. So, um, and they're asking now, what is site? What is all this stuff you're talking about? And I suppose that was the great thing for me is I had no idea what I was talking about at the start. I knew what I wanted to achieve at the end, but I didn't know how to describe it. And I suppose that became a real advantage the business because I was able to explain it to people in layman's terms because I was the dumbest person in the technology world myself. So I was able to say, okay, well, there are all these buzzwords and all this technology terminology that, you know, you can be really confronting. You don't know what people are talking about. Um, How can I make it easy to understand for people in a way that people could feel comfortable to dip their toes in this space? Because it is, it's, you know, it's unknown. So in simple terms, this technology uses this really sophisticated camera. And the camera has six eyes on her head. I call her her because she's a female, she multitasks, she's a, she's a gun. And she goes into a particular physical space and she then takes a photo from her, her spot and it's actually taking a 360-degree photo from that physical spot. We move her around the space until at the end of sort of the day we have maybe several hundreds of photos that we've taken. So what we do with those photos is then we sequence them and then they're used, put through machine learning, so artificial intelligence. And the artificial intelligence technology stitches all of these photos we've taken together. So it creates this seamless digital model, an exact replica 
of the real space that you'd see. So it's called a digital twin. So therefore, you could actually step into this digital twin and enjoy the same experience as you were there in person. You might have seen this application in, um, you know, real estate world. I took that concept and totally re-engineered the software. So it's a, a software, a real estate software is probably 20K definition. This is um, 8,000K definition. So the high resolution of it is incredible. You can see specs on the floor, you know, tears in a carpet. So it's like incredible. And then I was able to immerse some 360 degree software into it so that we could add multimedia tabs to really bring the story to life. So best thing is this, no, t- the technology is the template, but no two models are the same because I can actually customise these digital twins, these virtual models for each business or brand that I'm working with for whatever they need. That is incredible. And I love that you're saying that you were not a tech head and you have built this incredible product. How did you go from, you know, having this idea and actually creating the business? I wouldn't even know where to start. I also am a, am a publicist and the dumbest person in the room when it comes to technology. <laughs> well, welcome to me. I mean, I think it was, again, it, come, it came down to sort of my learnings. It was I my vision was always, always really clear and I knew the problem I needed to solve. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew, knew at the end how I, the problem I needed to, to solve it. I needed to work out how to do it. So obviously look, finding some software, asking, yeah, the dumbest questions. I don't want this to do this. I want it to do this. Can you do this? And I think, you know, the, the software developers um, had enough of me by the end because I really pushed the boundaries and just asked the why questions. And I also asked them to explain exactly what we were doing each time. So then I could actually then on explain it to my clients, um, which was so helpful. And I could explain it in a really simple term. But I had to approach everything about how I approach things really differently, you know, in brands and PR. We're, We're taught to get things perfect and perfect the brand and the brand's representing something so it's got to have all the values and all the elements just perfectly positioned and, you know, messages have to be crafted perfectly. I had to absolutely take that out of my mind because you can't do that in a technology space. And I was so uncomfortable with having to change the way I worked because I had to really change my way to design thinking where you actually can develop a prototype, but it doesn't have to be perfect. I was like, but it does. It has to be perfect. No, it cannot be perfect because then you've got to put it through that proof of concept to test, fail, learn and improve. So nothing was ever perfect when I actually took it to market. It was always having to change along the way. That's incredible. And you mentioned before how it's like it's similar to the images on a real estate website. And I think a lot of people can instantly see that in their mind. So what types of businesses are using your product? So it could be anything. So again, I didn't want to be just an expensive tool for the big players. I wanted to make sure that anybody could actually pay to play in, get get into this model. So I developed a sort of pricing model on square meterage. So it wasn't just a, a technology cost that even the smallest cafe could be involved up to the largest stadium. I mean, I did start with large businesses to start with, and some of them are the who's who in Melbourne, the Shrine of Remembrance, Federation Square, the MCG, the Yarra River, a lot of City of Melbourne assets, which include, you know, the Block Arcade, the Windsor Hotel, the Park Hyatt, every single national institution you could, you know, you'd imagine in Canberra from the War Memorial to Parliament House, so everything. But, again, along the way, a great pub in Warrandyte um, called The Grand in Warrandyte. 
some beautiful wineries in regional Victoria, some bakeries. So I wanted everybody had to have a chance to be involved and that's what the beauty of it. It was, you know, champing in the underdog as well as the big player in town. So amazing suite of businesses. It's now 83 businesses, 83 companies that have now used site to virtualise their business or their precinct or their destination, which is amazing. But, you know, I still go back to my, my first ever project, which which is probably the one that got me started. Is it, I, I can see how some of these brands can really, you know, bring their experience to life virtually, like, for example, like a museum or the shrine, and someone doesn't actually need to go there to actually study or see what's in there. And I think that's incredible. And especially during a time such as COVID, when we couldn't physically leave the house, are people still needing to use platforms like this and creating immersive experiences online, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think now that the pandemic's over, I think if you looked at it from, you know, business objectives of what we always try and do, okay, well, is your objective brand awareness? Is it education? Is it commercialisation? Is it a call to action? So that is, you know, what you're trying to achieve in most of our communication and marketing goals. And this is what the model does. It provides another tool to help you realise those business objectives. So you're not relying always on your your physical bricks and mortar. You're relying on a virtual model which can keep you open 24-7 and you can actually tap into new markets anywhere in the world from anywhere that they are, make it convenient for them to use you. And it goes, you know, as far as now I've got it in other languages. So, for example, you know, with the MCG, they're very big into the Indian market. Well, we've actually now got a version in Hindi that actually taps into an international audience. We've got school groups using it for e-learning, gamification with um, some sort of uh, cultural sites wanting to use it for gaming and so virtual treasure hunts. So there's there's all sorts of great ways to use it. I never say it's going to replace a physical visit if it's a destination or a brand, but it's to get somebody excited about that business and make them put that on the bucket list to actually learn further. But it's certainly a great tool to have as a complimentary one as part of your, your toolkit. Definitely. And I can see in the future brands are going to be needing to use these immersive experiences more and more. And you touched on AI, which is, you know, the hot topic of of the moment. Like, are we going to be taken over by AI and whatnot? But even as a publicist, the amount of times now that I turn to chat GPT for assistance or, you know, to actually make my workload so much more sustainable, it, it's incredible. Absolutely. No, I think, you know, technology's got to be harnessed for good, doesn't it? Not bad, not evil. And I think this virtual tour and this virtual technology does, um, as I said, it, you know, for particularly for businesses, it gives them another revenue stream or another avenue to communicate or engage with their customers. It's certainly an immersive experience for brands to actually really connect with their customers in a really deep way. Do you have any case studies that you can share of brands using your platform really successfully? Well, I suppose one of the first ones I go back to, I just referenced earlier, was my first project ever. And I suppose that's probably one of my most heartfelt ones because it was for the Shrine of Remembrance. And it was actually one that I did on pro bono. Uh, because I probably also needed to test my product, what if it worked. But I felt it was actually just during COVID and I heard on the news that due to the physical distancing laws, the Shrine of Remembrance couldn't hold their traditional dawn service on 
Anzac Day. And I thought, oh, my God, that's so sad, you know, and I, they, they really feared that they would lose that opportunity to, you know, uphold that Anzac spirit. So I approached the CEO of the shrine and he was a bit like me. Sounds great. Don't know what you're talking about, but um, let's give it a go. Um, and I said, look, it's a genuine pro bono gift because I want to actually give something back to Victoria and to honour the people that served our country. But also from another point of view, I wanted to test if my, my concept worked. So we came in, in within a three-week period, came and actually scanned and mapped out the shrine and developed a model form that they could host on their website. And basically what happened was the virtual tour then provided visitors, guests an opportunity to connect on Anzac Day because they couldn't do it in person. It increased traffic to their website by 300%. The great thing was I was able to virtualise their donation box. So people, they, they collect donations to keep their facility, you know, upkept. And so I was able to put a virtual donation box in our model so people could actually still donate from home rather than actually visit. They were able to move their retail shop to an online model because obviously they also rely on retail sales of merchandise. The thing that I loved the best was the education program. So I don't know if you remember, but as part of school curriculum, you actually go and visit the shrine as a school excursion. And because of COVID, we were able to actually be part of an education program for 60,000 school children around Victoria who could not visit the shrine. So we were part of the online e-learning curriculum, which I think, wow. And then, you know, we were able to also do, um, you know, with the exhibitions, put the galleries into, I suppose, a virtual catalogue so that once the exhibitions are over, you can actually still go back and tour some of the exhibitions of the shrine once it's finished and uh, still have a backlog of all those great exhibitions that we have. So that's that's my best one. But then, you know, aside from that, that's the big t- big end of town. You know, there's a gorgeous venue in Warrandyte that I referenced, the Grand Warrandyte. They were able to book three events in their function spaces sight unseen because uh, people were able to see it on the, as a virtual tour rather than visit the actual venue. And that's out of COVID. So they were able to sort of convert three inquiries to confirm bookings. They're both incredible stories and, you know, touching on the shrine first, I love that you could virtualise the donation box because, you know, there's still a call to action there and you can see how this could work with locations all across the country and all across the world. You can visit all these beautiful, like, museums and iconic landmarks. It's incredible. And then I also really, really love what you touched on about the event spaces because, as a publicist or a marketer or a a brand manager, you often are creating events in states that you do not live in. And I have planned many an event where I have never seen the venue and I'm just looking at pictures online and I'm like, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? So that is a great tool to have. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, I would say for an event organizer, it is exactly like that. It's you can actually see a space in real life because often you see it from photos, and of course, as a marketer, you would know venues put their best foot forward and the venue looks fabulous, but you can actually get in and tour every nook and cranny of that venue and see the carpet. You can see how the condition of the walls or what the lighting looks like to a window, and you can really get a very good sense of what you see is what you're going to get. And um, event 
planners love it. And I can imagine venue managers love it too, because there would be a a reduction of stupid questions like, do you have a light switch here? Do you have, like, how big's the bar space? How many chairs can fit here? And it would just all make sense. And you're absolutely right. That's uh, probably a really good example. Yes, it cuts down the efficiency of site inspections, multiple site inspections. Often also when clients are planning weddings as well, you have, you, you come in as a couple, you come in as the extended family, you come in as the bridal group so it cuts down that because everyone can have a look at it online they don't necessarily have to visit the venue so absolutely from a staff efficiency point of view it's it's brilliant yeah yeah I love that and in terms of you know creating this product and business what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs who want to create something as innovative as you have yeah, I think I, I touched on it a bit earlier but always I think come at it from a gap is there a gap in the marketplace? So everybody has great ideas, but is this is there a problem you're trying to solve or do you think a lot of people would like this solution? Because we all have great ideas, but are they going to be commercial? And I think, you know, as I said, my vision was always really clear. I needed I know I knew what I wanted to solve, but I just didn't know how to do it. And then I think some of the really key things was I had to be really agile. I had to break down all the things that I thought were the right way to approach things. Very uncomfortable for me. I had to act quickly because often I'd like to think about something and mull over it and come back to it the next day. No, I had to act quickly and boldly and I had to keep that test, fail, learn mindset that it's not perfect at the start. And I think, you know, I was I was not pivoting for pivot's sake. I was pivoting because I really needed to solve a problem for my you know beloved industry. Yeah. And were there any days that you were like, I can't do this and you wanted to give up? Not that I, I, I wanted to give up, but days where I'm thinking I am onto something and I don't know whether I'm going to be able to keep up. It was not giving up. It was I'm onto something. Do I need to get more people around me? Am I the, the person to lead this because I have no idea what I'm really doing? That was probably the only doubt I had in my mind because I didn't come from that background. But I think I knew my industry and I knew knew the end result, just I had to work out. And, yes, there were days where I wasn't going to give up, but there were some days where I absolutely went down the wrong rabbit hole. There were days that I had some really big learnings financially where, you know, for example, I had one particular – I had to invest in the technology. I invested in the camera. And one gust of wind took my camera down one day. Um, You know, they're $20,000 cameras. I think, okay, how do I now keep on going? It was a really good lesson for me. I have to have a backup plan. I couldn't just operate with one camera and expect uh, nothing to ever happen. So it was a really good lesson for me, making sure, you know, making sure that I've got IP clauses in place because some of the technology at the start, I totally changed and re-engineered it, as I said, because some technology out there you don't own, the client doesn't own their own IP. So I made sure that by looking through clauses and contracts that, I wanted to make sure that the client at the end of the day owned their own IP and we hosted in Australia all the really important things to maintain security. I can just imagine how much you had to learn on the job. All the things you're talking about, I'm like, I know nothing about this. <laughs> it was just some of the terms, like some of the terms were so just foreign to me and I thought there's a better way to describe it. It's a photo, essentially. It's a photo. It doesn't have to be so fancy in a word. Yeah. And what about what's next for Site360 and, I guess, immersive online experiences as a whole? Yeah, we've, we've really got into a great space at the moment in destinations. So aside from just going into a business, we've now really found it 
a great tool for destination. So an example is Canberra. So Canberra started with one venue and we got referred from the National Museum to the Canberra Convention Bureau who market Canberra on the global stage as a whole destination. So over sort of maybe 18 months now is we've virtualised Canberra. So we have 42 venues in Canberra that we've virtualised. And we've now done aerial mapping, 360 aerial mapping. Now we've got a drone division where we actually send up our drones. We also have done shots from helicopters now where we've actually gone over a destination, taken 360-degree photos, and we've then stitched those together and created an immersive aerial map. And then you can go down to the ground and see the venue. So Canberra's a really good example of that. But, you know, recently we've also done some other businesses like Kyneton in country Victoria. Last year we did Rochester, which is really great. We did it because then they suffered the, the floods so we were able to then, you know, have a, a version of Rochester that was unaffected and they, they're able to rebuild their sort of destination due to some virtual footage we have. And it's not just, you know, just destinations. It could be precincts. It could be tiny towns. It could be the smallest of towns ever. So we're now up the, the east coast of Australia working on a lot of destinational work and precinct work for councils. Yeah. It's actually so cool. I love that I don't have to leave my house to head to Canberra. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And who and who think Canberra is absolutely fantastic? Not that, you know, I've seen now every every great venue, but God, we've got some fantastic venues in Australia that we should be really proud of that, you know, I hadn't probably also been to since I was at school. I and mean, I've been able to go back to them and really appreciate them. And I think, you know, it's a pinch myself moment because I get to go into Parliament House when there's there's nobody there at six o'clock in the morning and, and just see this beautiful, beautiful, architecturally gorgeous building. The War Memorial, the, you know, all the gorgeous hotels, the art gallery. So I'm, I don't take that for granted that um, I'm in a lucky position. Yeah, I can imagine you get to work on some cool projects. Maybe Italy will be next. Ah, <laughs> oh, I love it. You know, I love it. Do you know what? I think there's so much of Australia that I want to want to see. Although, you know, I'm, I'm working, when you say Italy, I'm actually sort of bridging bridging a client in to Melbourne. So I work with the Curtis Stone Events team and they've recently won some great contracts, Melbourne Cup Carnival and the Royal Botanic Gardens. So I've been able to actually do models of those two venues, but also bring some 360 videos of Curtis Stone himself from LA and put them into the model. So it looks like he is in Melbourne in situ talking to people. So um, bringing a bit of LA to, to Melbourne. That is incredible. And okay, while I have you, I do also want to talk about the fact you run another business as well. You run Sabre Collective, which is a boutique marketing and brands consultancy. So what was your journey here to creating Sabre Collective? Well, it was, I'd been in the business, I'd been in the, um, the industry for you know many, many decades. I had worked for big businesses, small businesses, public companies, multinationals, privately owned family businesses and I'd worked with those great companies and learnt so much you know the best of the best and I think you know you take so much of your journey don't you and uh, work out what you really love and I think over time I worked out okay my end goal is to start my own consultancy and I was trying to work out in my mind okay well over that journey those two decades plus what sort of work did I really love and what played to my skills and what was I really good at um, what the industries I enjoyed and what were the types of organisations, what sort of style of leadership or management style did they have that brought the best out of me and in turn I had to offer them. So then I thought, okay, well, I've worked that out, what I like. I wonder if there's enough of those companies and opportunities out there that fit my criteria. And luckily enough, there was. I, um, I started, God, eight years ago, July 2015, 
And on the second day, I started my first consultancy project and I have not been a day without one since, <laughs> um, except in COVID, but yeah. That doesn't count. <laughs> I no, but, but then site took off over that. So yeah, yeah. And how do you balance both business ventures? I can't even imagine. It is challenging and I think that's probably why I developed my, my terrible cold um, a few weeks back and I needed to take a, a couple of days out. Yeah, I think that's a really good lesson for any business owner is balance um, and making sure that you have a good team around you, you can let go and probably also learning to say no when you know physically it's impossible to do it. And I think, you know, maybe COVID made us really nervous that you have to say yes to anything that comes these days. I think realistically having that balance and just working out priorities and trying to program different parts of the business. I think some of it now is quite complementary, but now what I've probably realised is I love my my Sabre Collective part, but I haven't gone full steam ahead and taken on like many, many clients. I've got my core group of about five clients that I've kept um, and that I'm really comfortable with and I wouldn't let them go for anyone. And then I think the site part of it's exciting because I can see that really growing. And, you know, since then I've been able to put, you know, two full-time staff on, have three casuals on the books and it's such a growing part of, I suppose, the, the landscape. And I know that you kind of have one foot in a different industry each, right? You've got something that's more like tech and something that's more marketing. What would be your advice for anyone wanting to start in, say, the tech industry or someone wanting to start in the marketing industry? That's kind of two questions in one. Yeah, I think in the in the, the marketing one is, I suppose it's, I find it's about relationships and networks. I'd say network, join your industry association. There, there's some really kind people in our industry that will always listen to you. I think, you know, you've got to research in, in marketing, you know, who you want to work for because it's a two-way street. It's not just about the company wanting you. You've got to be able to work for the company and make sure that your values and your ethos aligns to theirs. I think for marketing, you can't be too generic. You've got to work out, you've got to stand out somewhere and how to work out and get a company to understand how you're going to fit with their style and also what you're going to bring to the table. With tech, goodness, I find it's like such a it's such an interesting world to to infiltrate marketing, I think it's more inclusive. With tech, it's really harder to find relationships. I found it a little bit harder to get people to open up because it's a lot of IP that you're sharing with people, with others. It was harder, so it's and it's more entrepreneurial, it's more small startups. But I think where I've also learned to, to sort of try and tap into audiences is through um, Startup Victoria, who have programs and accelerators and incubators that actually can help small businesses and tech companies really um, add their skills and connect with the right people. So probably very two different answers of way to approach things. No, that's great. Thank you. And and I have had such a pleasure chatting to you today and I feel like I've learned so much and I want to learn even more about technology, especially as AI continues to just, you know, become this huge thing in our day-to-day life. But it is almost time to go and I have five quick fire questions left for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. So first up, what is your favourite PR event ever? Okay. This is bringing out my inner child. It was Mickey Mouse's New Year's Eve party at Disneyland in LA in Anaheim. And, you know, they say great PR events are not designed to make you buy something. They're designed to make you feel something. And it's true. It's the happiest place on earth. Oh, it is. I remember I went to, I think it was uh, Euro Disneyland for my 21st birthday. And the whole time I was like to my partner, 
I, this is the happiest I've ever been in my life. This is the happiest I've ever been in my life. Don't know how they do it. They need to bottle it. They probably need to bottle it, but it's those 1%ers, isn't it, yeah. in everything they do. Yeah. Okay, next up, what is your favourite podcast, apart from this one, of course? <laughs> well, apart from this one, which I love, I'd have to say it's called The Imperfects. Oh, and it's I love by that. A gentleman. Yeah, Hugh, he's a great favourite of mine. He founded the, you know, Resilience Project and it's something I live by daily while I try to, his GEM acronym, which is Gratitude, Empathy and Mindfulness. And I love I love what he brings. It's so authentic and real and raw, isn't it? It is such a great podcast. If you have not listened to it, I highly recommend too. What is your favourite social media platform? Instagram, hands down. Your most visited website? Wolf and Badger. Oh. Not sure if you've heard about that, but it's um, like a global curated marketplace. It has all these great independent designers. So cool, the stuff. So interesting, never seen before, but I think their tick for me is it's always sourced sustainability and ethically, but just fantastic stuff. Amazing. I'm going to have to check it out. And my very last question for you, what is your screen time? Oh, Okay. <laughs> Okay. Hi, I'm Sarah Seddon. I have a problem. I'm a social media addict. Five hours and 12 minutes. That's not too bad. I've heard worse. You're fine. Okay. <laughs> I was a little bit embarrassed to admit that, but uh, yeah. I think this podcast should be retitled Social Media Addicts Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm the first to join the group. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for your time today. I so, so appreciate it. And it was so lovely getting to know you and Site360. So lovely. And thank you very much. It was just wonderful to have a chat today. Thank you for listening to The Press Office with Kate & Co PR. Please subscribe, rate and review via your favourite podcast app. And please give us a follow, like and share on Instagram at Kate Co PR.